This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. And welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News. Well, we have long sung the praises of telehealth on this stage. And as you may know, the floodgates on telehealth were open during the start of the pandemic, not really out of enlightenment and getting government out of the way in the delivery of healthcare, but need. People needed medical care. And during the early stages of COVID, when we knew very little about controlling it, it seemed safer to visit the doctor digitally. And and it did happen. The federal government got out of the way, private insurers followed, and telehealth exploded. Patients and doctors love it, have loved it. Now we're at a crossroads because when the emergency declaration is over and we expect that to happen probably mid-July, we will start closing the gates on telehealth. Congress has authorized telehealth reimbursement for 151 days beyond the declaration. But after that, who knows what may happen? This will come up for debate and there are going to be some tough issues to work out. So that's why I am pleased to have as my guest today, Dr. Josh Umber. He is the founder of Atlas MD in Wichita, Kansas. Dr. Umber is one of the pioneers in direct primary care a model in healthcare delivery that has been way ahead of the curve on telehealth, primarily because it works independently of the government and third-party payers and all their rules. Welcome. Well, thanks for having us on. We're excited to talk about telemedicine. And I said your name correctly, Umber, right? Correct. All right. So, uh, Dr. Umber, first, what is your thought on what happens next for telehealth? I mean, do you think Congress will take action and that we will continue reimbursing beyond what is looking like uh, the end of the year? You know, I, uh, I think Congress doesn't do a lot of things well, but hopefully they'll do this well. I don't think there's an appetite to take away something from patients that they see as valuable, convenient, affordable. Um, they may not be as flexible as they had to be in the moment for March 2020, um, in, in resorting to or adapting to the uh, good faith principle. But I think with enough patient communication, demand, attention, um, I, I think they'll listen. Oh, great. You know, consumers have lost a lot of faith in the healthcare delivery system in the U.S. Healthcare delivery is now dominated by very big players, big hospital systems that end up monopolizing local markets. Could this easily happen with telehealth? I mean, aren't we better taking a more measured approach? And and how can we be assured that we'll have adequate competition in this area? I think that's the the best part is that the the way the telemedicine is dispersed will make it very difficult for um, you to have players that have control over it. You might have large players like Teladoc, but their stock's down 50% in the last couple of months because uh, it's difficult to control this entire space. But every physician can use telemedicine, and they won't be limited to just what the big players are doing uh, or saying. That gives it it an Internet-type feel where there's a lot of notes, and every doctor can use their own email, their own phone, their own 
um, you know, different texting platforms. So there's, there's a lot of variability there. And if big players add value, doctors can adopt that, patients can adopt that. But if they don't and they, they're not price sensitive, especially going into a year with double-digit increases in insurance premiums and double-digit inflation, I think any group that isn't actively lowering prices and adding value uh, is going to struggle to have a foothold in the marketplace. Do you think telehealth could make doctor visits extinct or too pricey even? No, uh, if anything, that uh, you know, the history of technology is that it makes things uh, faster, cheaper, easier. Uh, we can look at this and say, um, look, I, I still love shopping on Amazon. I, I love the ability to have uh, that technology access and ease. But if I'm doing a home project on the weekend, I need to go to Home Depot. I need to physically pick up a product uh, in, in the short amount of time. So there's there's online shopping and there's physical shopping. There's online books and physical books. And I can take a course online, but sometimes, you know, my kids still go to school. So we're going to use the best uh, of both models. We're going to use telemedicine for things that are uh, you know, play well with telemedicine, depression, anxiety, pictures of rashes, follow-ups, pink eye, uh, blood pressure management, you know, essentially conversations we'd have over the phone but now richer, easier, faster. Uh, that means when doctors are in the exam room, instead of seeing 30 people a day, they might only have to see 10 or 15 uh, mm-hmm. if they're in an insurance model, which means that's more time for the patients who do come to the office. That's less exposure to infectious disease. That's, um, you know, it's a more efficient process that will benefit everyone. So I don't see this as uh, taking away anything this will be adding to the system. What about the concern that these huge companies now would come in and take over telehealth? These companies that, you know, you call a doc, or I don't want to use any particular brand name, but you you know what I'm talking about, where you can access a doctor by making a phone call. Um, do you have any concerns, Are there, or should we be concerned, that telehealth may perhaps depersonalize Healthcare. I mean, get in the way of patients and doctors establishing a long-term personal relationship. Um, I, I think we should be aware of that potential, but I don't think it's a reason to not use the technology. Um, n- some people uh, don't necessarily want a long-term relationship. They want affordable, urgent care. And for those patients, that'll be a good option. Um, for most people, they are going to want to use telemedicine in combination with the local doctor that they can actually see. And, and I think that's the best use of, of telemedicine. But also, as we talk about telecare, a more encompassing term, that's data from your smart blood pressure cuffs and your smart scale and your glucometer and your Apple Watch to send an EKG. All of those tools are, are going to be used with the doctor you have a relationship with. Um, that's hard to replace at a grand scale. Now, there can be bad behavior for specific diagnoses um, that get a lot of attention, ADHD and controlled meds. Uh, But I think the system, although maybe a little slow, is catching those bad actors. And those are bad business actors and bad medical actors. But we we had that problem now, right? That's more of a consequence of a controlled medicine than the technology. Yeah, because we had a couple of concerns um, um, take place over the last couple of months. One of them was... uh, in the delivery of mental health, which probably is a really, you know, we've been hearing so much about the shortage 
and lack of access for mental health care and telehealth could really change that in a big way. But then how do you prevent some of the um, pitfalls of, of some of that? We've had this company now that was caught writing too many prescriptions for Adderall, which, as you know, requires a, a regular follow-up visit. So they had an assured customer base by writing these prescriptions. Um, how do you prevent stuff like that? Do we need more, uh, well, I hate to say this, regulation, but more oversight? Should there be some more safety rails put into any legislation? You know, I think um, we can continue to focus on the legislation that's already in place for controlled medicines and opportunities there where doctors and pharmacists are supposed to be looking at the registers for controlled substances and seeing where they're getting them from. And if there's, you know, a trend for too many from one location or too many refills or too many different doctors. Um, but again, that's probably the, the exception, not the rule. And, and the system did catch this. They just didn't catch them as quickly as we'd like. Um, the, the, there's a, a side effect to action. There's a side effect to inaction. And the inaction of not allowing te- uh, technology to help patients with anxiety and depression and other mental issues is, is more problematic, I think. Uh, yeah. Less visible, but those people are more likely to forgo care. They don't want to ask for work off. They may not be able to afford it. They may not have a car or time to go to the therapist. The simpler we can make that access, the better the outcomes will get. I mean, that, that's a really good point. And I've, I've read a little bit on this. And, you know, while it's great to have a personal relationship with a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a professional, mental health professional, um, you know, access is one of the biggest complaints I've heard is that sometimes patients don't make it to the doctor and you've lost that time that you have that inefficiency built in and perhaps telehealth can cross that hurdle. Um, I, I, I want to ask you about something else, another issue that's come up, which is privacy. So we already know now people are getting distrustful of big companies. Google comes to mind. A couple of years ago, it was revealed that Google and another major healthcare um, operation, I think it was Ascension Health, was caught um, sharing healthcare data, private healthcare data. Um, when we get into this telecare, which I think you called it earlier, when we share digital information, um, what concerns should we have about our personal medical data crossing third channels and getting into the wrong hands? Well, I think it's like anything. Uh, we've got personal data on our phones and computers and programs we're using. And um, I think it's easy to get um, comfortable with that data. Uh, we know on some level it's being shared. We go on Amazon and they offer coupons for something that we've been searching for. Um, but at the same time, that, that may feel not great, but not as concerning as when it's your, your the Medicare actors, um, they're going to lose business when people get frustrated by that. I yeah. think Apple's done a very good job of saying, look, we do protect your data. And so Google clearly m- m- misstepped in the difference between what is good and what is legal. It's legal for them to do it because of the way the HIPAA laws are structured that um, patient, uh, patient health information can be um, structured in such a way as to re- remove names. And then as long as they have the right contracts 
uh, the, the, the data was secure, but, the, mm-hmm. but it was being shared with people that you wouldn't expect it to be shared with. So it was legal, but not good. Right. And um, versus Apple, when they released their watch or their apps and things that were checking for heart health, they said, would you like to share this information or would you like to enroll in studies? And, and they had a huge response because people generally do want to be engaged in their health and they don't mind sharing data if they're aware of it and it might help themselves and others. But that's the critical piece. You have to be transparent and give them the choice. Yeah. Not everyone will say yes. So probably a bumpy road as we get to that. Again, um, uh, uh, a, a hurdle in the technology development, but not uh, a roadblock that should stop us. Is those actors are they got in trouble again? The system sort of worked. Yeah, right, right. It it, it came. Uh, it, it was made apparent, and so you know we we learned of it. I, I think the big concern too is really you know not just privacy and getting um, big tech companies access to your private health data, but you know their collusion with government. And so we saw really the heavy hand of government during COVID going after people who weren't vaccinated or staying home or whatever. And, you know, after this whole pandemic experience, um, do you suppose that if we were to really open the floodgates on telehealth, that it could entice government to kind of double down on some of those big alarming behaviors? Um, Maybe, you know, I think uh, trust is gained in years and lost in minutes. So uh, whether it's the government or big uh, tech firms, they have a huge hurdle. Uh, in, um, and the nice part is most doctors don't need Google to do telemedicine. They don't need government. Uh, you know, so if, if a doctor is doing insurance, it's more complicated. But if they do the insurance-free direct care models, then none of the data is shared with anybody. So the patients who want the most security or data privacy will choose the doctors that aren't uh, working with other groups, that aren't you're required to share that data to get paid. And I, I think that will tilt the direction back into smaller clinics, to doctors that you know with technology that's uh, not being abused. So the, uh, the potential there is, is significant. Yeah. And I think consumers will get smarter, you know, they'll read more about it, they'll hear, and, you know, we'll all become more knowledgeable. Before we wrap up, I wanted to see if you could just tell us a little bit about your history with telehealth and how it's impacted care for your patients. I mean, you know, I guess this goes back to the early days of Atlas and how you came to find that. I'm a huge fan of direct primary care. I do think it's the revolution of the future, but so much of it, you know, it's kind of tied to to telehealth in many ways. My DPC doctor has been doing telehealth for as long as I can remember. So um, tell us a yeah. little bit about your start. Well, you know, we opened our uh, direct care practice in 2010 uh, before really any of this. And because we didn't uh, take insurance or government contracts, we were more flexible uh, from that far back to be able to do call, text, email, and added video chat years before COVID. Um, because now we could say, we're working directly with the patient. What do they want? What do they need? What makes care faster, cheaper, easier for them? As opposed to how do we circumnavigate government rules and regulations to maximize insurance billing? So I think that put us in a great position 
for a decade to focus on patients and build technology that uh, helped them, that helped their doctors, and, and help fix healthcare. Uh, everybody wants it cheaper, faster, easier, smoother. And uh, the more we grew, the more we could help other doctors. Uh, the more those doctors adopted direct care, the more patients they could help. So it's been an interesting 12 years for sure, and uh, uh, excited to see what the future holds in both direct care and technology. Yeah. You know, when DPC came out, I kept thinking to myself, how in the world is anybody going to make this work? How can they afford to offer unlimited primary care for a set fee? I mean, who would survive in that? And and it became clear to me that I'm looking at this very much through the eyes of conventional health care. You know, I didn't realize once you shed all those obstacles, the third party payers, the coding, the regulation, you can do so much more in such little time and be so much more effective. And I think that probably explains the high level of satisfaction that, you know, not just uh, healthcare professionals, but patients have with these new models. And, 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 you know, telehealth will probably have some hiccups like anything, but um, you know, I think overall people will really appreciate the ease and the access and the cost. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it is fascinating in the sense that, you know, so much innovation that we expect from Silicon Valley operates on the same concept of, of simplifying, but then we're shocked that we can do that in healthcare. And we could take it from, you know, 150,000 ICD-10 codes to four age groups and, and simplify pricing and add value uh and that continues to grow so um there's there's still a lot of room to grow and fix healthcare. but they once they realize that yeah there are affordable options you know at one point everyone thought netflix was impossible that you could have unlimited movies for eight dollars a month um it cost you know eight dollars a month to rent a movie from blockbuster and at one point Barnes and Noble was paying Amazon to run their online store because they thought, well, no one will want to buy things online, let alone <laughs> books. Uh, so technology is this funny way of um, proving kind of the uh, large entrenched groups wrong. And uh, so direct care focuses on the patient. I don't think we can go wrong. Yeah, well, that is that is certainly uh, very true. Well, thank you, Dr. Umber. It was a pleasure talking to you, and, and thank you for joining us and answering some of these tough issues that may be coming up on telehealth as we anxiously await to see what we end up doing in, in the halls of Congress on this. We, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, well, we do appreciate your insights. Dr. Josh Umber is the founder of Atlas MD in Wichita, Kansas, and one of the pioneers in the direct primary care movement, which has had a long track record using telehealth. And thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this discussion and want to help amplify the free market message in healthcare, please keep tuning in to the Heartland Daily Podcast, become a regular subscriber, give us a thumbs up on your favorite platform, and share our link. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. Mm-hmm.